have you ever wondered how to judge between right and wrong without actually judging other people? Hi, and welcome to Twain Talk for Latter-day Saints, your questions and clear answers. I'm Tiffany Thomas, and I'm here to help guide you through gospel topics in a way that makes sense to you. It's easy to feel lost when there are so many different voices out there telling you right from wrong. It can be hard to know what to do when you have questions. We're going to take the common gospel questions that you as teens and tweens have and answer the why, what, and how about them. We'll go into the doctrines and principles so you can figure out how to apply them to your own life. If this is your first time joining us, make sure you listen to the first four podcasts in order first, or you'll miss out on a lot and be a little lost. And if you need something to draw or sketch during this podcast while you're listening, I've got some coloring pages on my website, savingtalents.com forward slash podcast. You can also find the references and transcript for this podcast there. And then you can find me, Tiffany, on Instagram and Facebook as Saving Talents or on TikTok as Tween Talk LDS. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. I am so glad to be doing this podcast today. But before we get into it, do need to let you all know something. This is going to be the last podcast for the foreseeable future. I am pregnant with our fourth kid, and it is actually taking a lot harder toll on me and my Crohn's disease than we expected. And as a result, I need to lighten my load for a while. I'm hoping that after he or she is born, I will be able to start doing these podcasts again. But in the meantime, I will always be available by email or in my Facebook group. And you can access either of those on the blog, savingtalents.com forward slash podcast. Because this one is the last one for a while, I wanted to talk to you about something that I feel like is really important. As we've talked about all these commandments and whether or not they're doctrine or principles or applications, I've told you that it's important that we don't judge others for their applications, and we shouldn't allow others' judgments of us to affect us. And I know that that is so much easier said than done. One big difficulty that we have right now is that the world seems to feel like if you don't verbally approve of what they're doing, you're being judgmental of them. So then they get angry and tell you that Christ said not to judge others. But we kind of need to make those judgments as we make decisions about who our friends should be or the types of people we want to be around. So what do we do when we're not sure about a commandment or how to apply it? We go back to the doctrine. And that's what we're going to do about judging others. We covered the plan of salvation, including Judgment Day, quite thoroughly in the first several episodes of this podcast. On Judgment Day, it will be Heavenly Father, along with Jesus Christ, who is doing the judging. Doctrine and Covenants, section 137, verse 9 says, For I, the Lord, will judge all men according to their works, according to the desires of their hearts. This means that it is not our job to judge people about where they're going to end up in the eternities. That is between them and God. And this is called condemnation. To condemn someone means to sentence them to punishment. So it's not our place to condemn. That is 
God's job. But what about in this lifetime? I mean, we're told that we need to make good friends. So how can we choose those friends without making judgments of some kind? Doctrine and Covenant, section 38, verse 42 says, And go ye out from among the wicked, save yourselves. So we're not supposed to condemn, but we're supposed to figure out who is wicked. And that kind of sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? Years ago, before my mission, and no, I'm not going to tell you exactly how many years ago that was, we had the same conversation in an institute class in my hometown. One young man said something that I will never forget. He opened the scriptures and read Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 16, which says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. He then said, God doesn't want us to judge others, but he does expect us to be fruit inspectors. And I've always really liked that analogy. Be a fruit inspector. Look at their works and inspect them to see if that is something you should partake of or not. Christ himself discussed judging others. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Judge not that ye be not judged. But if you look for the footnote in that verse, there's a Joseph Smith translation there. You see, the Bible has been translated from language to language over the centuries. One of the last projects Joseph Smith was working on when he died was to read through the whole Bible and, through inspiration, make corrections. And one of those was to this verse, and a few key words were missing. According to the Holy Ghost inspiration to Joseph Smith, the words Christ originally spoke said, Judge not unrighteously that ye be not judged, but judge righteous judgment. And then the following verses give instruction on how to make those righteous judgments. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. In the book, True to the Faith, under the topic Judging Others, it says, Sometimes people feel that it is wrong to judge others in any way. While it is true that you should not condemn others or judge them unrighteously, you will need to make judgments of ideas, situations, and people throughout your life. The Lord has given many commandments that you cannot keep without making judgments, such as being aware of false prophets or going out from the wicked. You need to make judgments of people and many of your important decisions, such as judging friends, voting for government leaders, and choosing an eternal companion. Judgment is an important use of your agency and requires great care especially when you make judgments about other people. All your judgments must be guided by righteous standards. Remember that only God, who knows each individual's heart, can make final judgments of individuals. Along those same lines, in the April 2010 General Conference, Elder Gregory A. Schwitzer gave an excellent talk entitled, developing good judgment and not judging others. In it, he says, we live in a world 
in which many situations require us to make judgments that are often difficult. Yet the Savior gave the commandment to judge not our fellow man. How can we do this and still exercise good judgment in a world full of deception and corruption? We must judge well when making critical decisions in each phase of our life, such as choosing friends, finding an eternal companion, or choosing an occupation that will allow us to care for our family and serve the Lord. Although the Savior asked us not to judge others, he still expects us to use excellent judgment. And then Elder Schwitzer goes on in that talk to give four guides to developing good judgment. And I highly recommend you go read them on your own. And I put a link for them up on the blog. It's important as you go through life, being a fruit inspector or making good judgment or whatever you want to call it, that you stay close to these guides on good judgment. The truth is you're going to have to make judgments and decisions about people and situations countless times. Remember those flow charts, those blueprints we drew up in the pre-earth life? Each time we reach a spot where there are two arrows, we have to make a judgment on what to do. And sometimes that involves people and the choices they're making. We may need to look at them and inspect their fruits. Just because someone has different applications than you does not mean that they are putting forth bad fruits. But if they're trying to insist that you are wrong in your own applications, then that is bad fruit. I have a few examples from my own life that I want to share with you. One summer, we moved to a new town and a new ward. Our state girls camp was the following week, and it was actually the first time I had met the girls in my new ward. As we walked from the tent to the lake one morning, I was surprised to hear their conversation riddled with profanity. My face must have shown my feelings because one girl turned to me and demanded, do you swear? I told her no, I didn't, and she rolled her eyes at me and then proceeded to link arms with the other girls and walk quickly ahead of me on the trail, leaving me behind. That was the start of quite a bit of bullying that occurred from the girls in the ward towards me, all because by sticking to my own standards, they felt I was judging them and they were punishing me for it. Then a few years later, when I was in high school, we moved again, this time to a completely different state and definitely a new school and ward. I was actually the only member of the church my age in our entire high school and one of only two in our entire school district. There were a few girls in the young women's group, but none that I really got to know very well since there was an age difference between us. I was forced to look outside my ward for friends, which is something I hadn't ever had to do before. Interestingly enough, I found that the supposed good kids actually pressured me to do things that I didn't feel comfortable with, while the bad kids, those who did drugs publicly, dressed all in black, skipped classes, had lots of piercings, wore chains. Those were the ones that were actually the most supportive of my standards. I remember one Friday at lunch, one of them turned to me and said, hey, Tiffany, we're having a party this weekend. There's going to be a lot of drinking and some drugs. We know that you won't want to go, but we wanted to tell you about it because we didn't want you to think that we left you out or something because we didn't like you. I was actually very touched that they cared enough about my feelings and my standards 
to not only respect them, but to help me enforce them for myself. And a few months later, a new kid moved into school. This kid with his goth clothes and his chains and his tattoos immediately joined our group. You could kind of tell by the way my friends dressed that this was probably the group with whom he'd fit best, as opposed to the cheerleaders and football players on the other side of the cafeteria. Partway through lunch, this kid started telling a story that had a ton of profanity in it. He only made it a sentence or two before one of my friends punched him in the arm and said, motioning to me, hey, Mormon ears, we don't talk like that. Again, I was so grateful that I had found a group of friends who supported me in my values. My choices to not swear or not do drugs didn't once make them think that I was being judgmental of them. Like Christ said, by their fruits, ye shall know them. Now, this doesn't mean that the bad kids are better than the kids at church. People are people. You're going to find good kids everywhere. You're going to find bad kids everywhere. It just means that we need to make judgments about our friends and those with whom we associate by how they support us and make us feel about our own desires to choose the right and grow closer to God. In a speech made at BYU by Elder Dallin H. Oaks entitled Judge Not and Judging, he talks about making these kind of fruit inspections only he calls them intermediate judgments. The entire talk is incredible and gives clear direction and supporting statements from the Savior and the scriptures on how we should make intermediate judgments. In each statement, however, the Savior makes it super clear that we should be judging righteously. If someone at church is wearing a spaghetti strap shirt or is passing the sacrament in a green shirt, we have no right to look at them in judgment of their desires to follow the Lord. However, if that person then makes fun of you for trying to wear shirts that cover your shoulders, then you do have a right to make an intermediate judgment that that person isn't one that you would want to have as a friend. In this speech, Elder Oaks, now President Oaks, gives six principles of what makes a judgment righteous. First, a righteous judgment must be intermediate. It is not a condemnation where a declaration is made that the person has forfeited their eternal salvation. To do that would be to deny the atonement. And remember, the judgment that you use to judge will be used against you. If you state that someone else can't repent, then you deny yourself access to that same repentance. Second, a righteous judgment will be guided by the spirit of the Lord, not by anger or revenge or jealousy or self-interest. The third principle of righteous judgments is that it must be within our stewardship. If you see someone taking the sacrament that you feel like is unworthy, like you saw them doing drugs earlier in the week, that isn't something that you should bother about unless you're the bishop. Number four, righteous intermediate judgment of a person means that we should, if possible, refrain from judging until we have an adequate knowledge of the facts. That means that if you see someone for the first time and they're wearing sleeveless shirts, 
you don't get to decide if they're going to be a good friend to you or not because you haven't seen the fruits of who they are. The fifth principle of righteous judgment is that whenever possible, we will refrain from judging people and only judge situations. For example, if a teenager decides to start smoking, the parents do have the right to ask them not to smoke in the home or in front of younger siblings. That's judgment of the situation and not the person. And sixth, the last principle of righteous judgment is that it will apply righteous standards. This means that it's based on doctrine and principles that come directly from the prophet and apostles and not on the applications that we've received for ourselves. One example of this is in the New Testament, Mary and Martha. You remember the story, right? Jesus was at their home teaching and Mary sat down at his feet to listen and Martha went about cooking and making preparations. She turned to the Lord in frustration and asked him to tell Mary to help her. Now, Martha didn't make the wrong choice in how she showed her love for the Lord, but her problem was trying to force her application of showing her love to the Savior onto her sister. Okay, so now that we've thoroughly covered how to not judge individuals or condemn them, what do we say when people claim that we're being judgmental when we vote or express our opinions according to our beliefs or standards? Two common arguments that this pertains to a lot right now is same-sex marriage and abortions, but it can apply to anything. You choosing to not go to a friend's birthday party on Sunday because you feel like it's breaking the Sabbath for you, they might claim that you're being judgmental and saying that they're breaking the Sabbath for having the party. But we aren't trying to impose our applications onto others or make judgments. And so when it comes to same-sex marriage and abortions, why do we have such a strong voice as a church against them? And that's a really valid question. We know from the 11th article of faith that we should allow all men to worship God or to not worship him how they wish. So doesn't that contrast with us voting to make abortion illegal or fighting against the laws that make same-sex marriage legal or anything else trying to establish policy that goes in line with church standards that others may not want to live? Unfortunately, the questions don't have simple answers. I was on my mission when the state of California put Proposition 8 up for vote, which would allow same-sex marriages to be performed legally, and it was the first time that was happening. And for the first time that I can remember, the church involved itself in politics and encouraged members to vote against it. Elder Bednar, who had only been apostle for a few years, came to Puerto Rico where I was serving, and he did a question and answer session with the stake I was assigned to. One brother raised his hand and asked why the church was getting so heavily involved in the debate when normally it chose to remain politically neutral. I will never forget Elder Bednar's response. He said, we, meaning the First Presidency and the Twelve, are prophets and apostles, but we are not prophets and apostles for just the Mormon church. 
Rather, we are prophets and apostles for the entire world. We are the only men on earth with the authority of God to speak in his name. So if we will not stand up for righteousness and tell the world what God's laws are, who will? As we discussed during the last several episodes with the law of chastity, violations of that law have far-reaching consequences. As Alma the Younger told his son in Alma chapter 39 verse 5, sexual sin is the most abominable of all sins except for the shedding of innocent blood and denying the Holy Ghost. People can entirely remove tremendous portions of their blueprints and eternal possibilities by making those choices, even if they make them unknowingly. Living a homosexual lifestyle, creating a family that has absolutely no chance of being together for eternity has heartbreaking eternal consequences. And as for abortion, what is more innocent than an unborn baby who is entirely dependent on its mother for protection and nurture? In the October 2008 Enzyme, President Nelson wrote a very clear article entitled Abortion, an Assault on the Defenseless. In a very clear, direct manner, he proclaimed abortion to be a war on the unborn. So one may argue then that we should allow people their agency to make these choices. It is, after all, their right to choose. But is it really agency if people don't understand the stakes? When God was about to flood the earth because of their wickedness, he first called Noah to proclaim repentance and to warn about the dangers that were ahead if they continued on their way. How is this any different? God has called a prophet to warn the world about the very eternal dangers and consequences of the choices that people are making. If Noah had chosen to just save his family and not warn people, wouldn't we kind of label him as selfish? In the next life, when everything is unveiled, those who made those choices in those lifetime, our friends, will turn to us, those of us who knew, and ask, why didn't you warn me? You knew. Why didn't you tell me that I was making such a huge choice? There is a very big difference between judging someone for wearing a tank top which is an application that is individual versus sharing the consequences of decisions people are making to warn them. When you drive on the road, you'll notice all kinds of warning signs. If you're coming up to a sharp turn, there will be signs telling you to slow down. If there is a bridge that gets icy in the winter, there will be a sign telling you to be aware of that. Whether or not you believe the signs or follow them is up to you, but the signs are put there by those who have knowledge about what is ahead and what the dangers are. If no one put signs up on the road, it would be kind of their fault if you weren't aware and got hurt. God has called a prophet to give us those warnings, and those are for the world, not just members who believe he's a prophet. We should not try to force our beliefs on others. 
when we state that we don't think abortion or same-sex marriage should be legal, we're not telling others that they have to believe it, but we are doing our best to set up warning signs to help people before they make a decision with tremendous eternal consequences. I use those two social issues as an example, but there's a lot of situations out there where people are going to accuse you of being judgmental or trying to force your beliefs on them. When you're accused of being judgmental, it's okay to stop and ask yourself, am I judging or condemning this person or am I making good judgment and am I sharing my beliefs? Sometimes people choose to be offended and when someone chooses to be offended or to feel like they're judged, that isn't your responsibility. They all have the light of Christ, their conscience, and more often than not, that's what's niggling at them and making them feel judged. If you follow the principles Elder Oaks outlined about making good judgments, then you can feel confident in standing for what you believe is right without forcing it on others. And I know that this isn't easy, especially when there are so many big issues facing you and you're such a young age. And that's why I started this podcast. And I'm so sad that it is going to be the last episode for a while until after my baby comes and life gets a lot more stable. So until then, please keep thinking about what we've talked about, not just in this episode, but in all of them. Focus on developing your testimony in the plan of salvation and building a strong relationship with Heavenly Father and Jesus. And then when you do have questions, follow the same pattern. What's the doctrine? What are the modern day principles? And how can you apply it individually? And I promise that as you do those things, you'll find strength to overcome even the most difficult of challenges. And until we meet again, you will be in my prayers. And I'll see you all next year. Thanks for joining me this week on Tween Talk for Latter-day Saints. I hope today's podcast helped you learn the what and why of the gospel questions so that you can figure out the how for yourself. If you have any gospel questions you want me to help answer, then just go on over to my website, savingtalents.com forward slash podcast and submit your question. And you can also find me on Facebook and Instagram as Saving Talents or on TikTok as Tween Talk LDS. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Tiffany Thomas, giving you clear answers to your gospel questions. Keep praying, and I'll see y'all later.